0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of Freedom Fanatics, brought to you by the Freedom Advocacy Network. Today we've got a little bit of an economics focus as we look forward to the national budget speech, which is being given on Wednesday. Alongside me, we have Sholem Boyson from the Freedom Advocacy Network, as well as Becky Matlobo, who is joining us uh, from the Center for Risk Analysis. He is no stranger to freedom fanatics and it's all oh, you, you know something's going down in the economics world when we bring becky on to share to some <laughs> wisdom <laughs> yeah. so becky let's let's jump straight into it um so the national budget speech is on wednesday tomorrow um yeah first of all what is it what is the national budget speech
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Alex. So the budget speech essentially is an update by the South African government, National Treasury, on the fiscus of the country in terms of government revenues in form of taxation, government expenditure, uh, where government uses that taxation to uh, spend on. Now, when it is commonly referred to as government revenue, this is actually taxation collected from South African citizens. And unfortunately, over the past decade, From a policy perspective, the South African government has been implementing policies that has resulted in large government expenditure by way of increase in uh, social wage bill, uh, bailouts of SOEs, Uh, that has resulted in increase in uh, the deficit as well as now of government debt levels. So in terms of this budget speech, a close eye will be kept on if we'll see an increase in, in taxation items, such as that of Syntax, as well as individual taxes, for example, or company or company tax and fuel levies.
0: Okay, cool. So, Becky, I saw uh, a stats earlier this week that uh, per, of personal income tax. Uh, so, seven million South Africans pay forty percent of tax revenue that's collected by the government. Um, mm-hmm. What? What? We know that there's a bit of a jobs crisis in the country. Um, what? What kind of measures could the could uh, you know, Gordon the Minister of Finance, take to try and expand the tax base to get more people in employment to get more revenue from taxpayers? I know ta- increased tax revenue was one of the positive things uh, that came about uh, in the last year, in the last financial mm-hmm. year. Um, what kind of thing can we hear? Anything to is this the occasion where we hear plans to try and improve? Our tax base to try and get more people into jobs?
1: Yeah, unfortunately uh that might not be the case there, Alex. Uh in terms of you know Guanaguana trying to raise revenue, uh he might try that by increasing syntax, or some are suggesting that he might increase fuel levy taxes or other any other forms of taxation. Uh, mm-hmm. What Enoch Wanagwana should do, in fact, it should, it should highlight um, the negative consequences of a low-growth economy from a policy perspective, like you mentioned that, of the tax base shrinking. In fact, if you were to look at 2019 third quarter numbers of the number of people employed compared to our latest numbers, we still short about 2 million South Africans that are without employment, and that also negatively impact the fiscus in terms of Uh, individual taxation and so forth. So what Inok should do if you would like to increase government revenue while at the same time decreasing government expenditure, it should highlight the fact that SOEs should stop receiving bailouts, should highlight the ballooning civil service wage bill, should highlight the uh, consequences of hostile policies such as what we're seeing with labor market for example where we don't have enough South Africans employed to raise government revenues and you also mentioned there, uh, Alex, of the increase in government revenue, expense, uh, in government revenue. Uh, that was largely due to the commodity rally, which boosted mm-hmm. South African exports. So that was largely due to what was happening outside of South Africa that has led to a positive outcome for the government. Uh, mm-hmm. It is unclear whether that commodity rally will continue for this uh, for the foreseeable future, but it is definitely, it appears to be a short-term rather than a long-term boost in government revenues. And therefore, something from a policy perspective needs to be done to raise government revenues and decrease the government expenditure. And if that's not done, unfortunately, Alex, this will negatively impact the ordinary South African, be it the Mm -hmm. form of paying high taxes or be it the form of allocation of uh, revenue items. Uh, For example, I earlier touched on that South Africa is increasing its debt levels. That's gonna make it more expensive to service that debt, meaning that Mm -hmm. there'll be less uh, money to spend on, on education, there'll be less money to spend on defense and policing, there would be less money to spend on healthcare, uh, for example, which are very important items.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, I mean, if they had to cut, cut the, the 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 security uh, sort of cluster funding, and I know that's one of the major problems is that they've been cutting, been cutting funding to the police, funding. which keep us safe, which is uh, <laughs> uh, blows my mind. Although at least you know the defence force has been parading to Osama by Zekspanduni, so I guess that money is going somewhere. But um, Sholin, we speak about some of the the policy changes that could happen and social security. And I see education's yeah. kind of lumped in with that as a broad term. Um, education, social services. We know there millions. I think Becky, correct me if I'm wrong. Eighteen or so million South Africans on some form of a social grant.
1: It is now above 25 million, and that was largely due to the introduction of the COVID 19 social disgrace grant that added millions uh, of people receiving the social grant. Uh, The policy objective of the ANC is to sort of make that more permanent or to introduce Hmm. a universal basic income grant, which may be a drain on the fiscus. Uh, yeah so yeah it's about 25 million or so people receiving social grants now but the the issue here alex is that we're not growing the economy to, to make uh, 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 social grants uh, become sustainable uh we're not employing enough people in the labor market the south african economy is not growing leading to the fiscus to be strained
0: no for sure but i mean sharlin we, we 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 speak about linking it back to policy um and obviously it's it's sometimes a Becomes a little bit intangible to people on the streets who are out there trying to hustle, just trying to buy in order just to put food on the table. Um, you know, what kind of policy policy aside from you know maybe doing away with some state enterprises, privatizing here and there, some simple uh, policy proposals. What do you think are some things that we could do instantly from a policy perspective, say with education as an example, to you know, give people back the dignity that that they they're looking for.
2: Yeah, I'd just would like to touch on some of the things that Becky said, uh specifically mm-hmm. with regards to um the bailouts for state owned enterprises like Iscom and SAA and all of these failing government um entities. I'm like, we we have we have to reallocate those funds that go out for bailouts to things like education where um it's actually needed more. Cutting funding to to the police where our crime rates are shocking and um it's it's really dangerous out in these streets, man. I'm like, why would we for um be cutting the police um yeah. budget? Um and something that I definitely do think is a good example for the where this money can be challenged is something yeah. the um Institute of Regulations um, has suggested, which is essentially um education vouchers, um where school vouchers where parents are actually given vouchers to actually um, have the ability for them to choose the school where they want to send the kids to and that they do not have to be stuck at failing public schools um, and that's a really good policy that I think the government should instead be investing in um, another dangerous thing Alex that you touched on was um, the social grants and I'm absolutely shocked by the fact that um, 25 million South Africans are actually dependent on some form of, um, social grant. I mean, we should not be given handouts. We should actually be given hand ups. Um, and that's something that, um, has developed in South Africa, which is this dependency on the state. Um, and that's a very dangerous culture because we need to be have, have people who are employed, who are skilled, who are educated and are functioning, um, as individuals in the free market. And they're not just dependent on whatever the state gives them, whether it's a 350 rand now or a 200 rand later. Um, no, we need to get people who have solid incomes um, and can actually contribute a fair amount of tax um, to the state to actually improve circumstances around here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, Becky, if you were in Corungana's position, um, and you could make one change, or propose one policy to to improve South Africa's lot, as it were. What what yeah. what would that be? Uh, the first thing that I that I would firstly highlight
1: is uh, the the problem with the ANC is that it carries internal contradictions. On one side, they would like to uh, talk up the talk of economic growth while, on the other, carrying policies that are detrimental to the South African economy. If I was in I would highlight the costs, for example, of the national health insurance, the costs of expropriation of our compensation, the costs of state-owned enterprises that needs to be constantly bailed out. And we can actually see what are the consequences of that when you're looking at economic performance, even when you look at what Sholin touched on, the budget cuts when it comes to more important items such as that of policing, which a prime example of if you need an example is to look at the July riots of last year where the police were absolutely unable to maintain law and order, the increase in certain murder uh, or crime uh, statistics that we saw this week and so forth. So if I was thinking of I'm going to highlight the consequences of those policies, just to talk up of the opportunity costs where the country is going at. So, you know, the, the, the things, unfortunately, that are ignored by policy makers are the opportunity cost of hostile policies, which unfortunately mm-hmm. the country is currently now paying for with, for example, high debt levels, which unfortunately would lead the average South African to pay more in terms of tax revenue, a declining infrastructure because we cannot allocate infrastructure as well as the fact that there are BE regulations in that aspect. That are leading to, uh, 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 for example, a decline in infrastructure, roads, decline in roads, decline in our railway system, and so forth. So Zeno would highlights the negative of those policies and state that the country needs to grow and, and, and try to talk up uh, uh, the policy directions that this country needs in order to emulate what we see in other emerging markets.
0: Mm, no, for sure. I guess, Sholin, what you see is, is really just a full circle of the the impact of bad policy. You know, you reduce spending on, on policing. Uh, you don't deal with uh, nepotism and cronyism within the, the, the state uh, function. Um, yeah. You know, and I think I saw a headline earlier this week that I think in the past two or three months, there's been over 60 cash-in-transit heists. Now, I'm not entirely sure that that can operate without some sort of inside collaboration We know, and and then on the other hand, we see that with something like the riots, that Ramaphosa comes out and says, "We are, we are sorry," Um, but then we don't see any accountability from the top down. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Sholin, I mean, what what should only people who understand these things very well, like Becky? we'll go and watch and analyze this speech and and, and put out some some content for us to understand it. But for ordinary South Africans, what, what should they, why should they care about this? I know we've touched on some things, but how, how, why should they, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like your, 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 your parents kind of dealing with their own budgets and allocating you some, maybe some pocket money if they have some. Um, but why, why should, why should people care about this?
2: Um, yeah, I know that sometimes, you know, these things tend to sound big and enormous and the terms that are used, um, are usually like scary just because it's such big words. Um, I'm sure so Baker you know. But the truth is that these economic terms and speeches by, um, you know, Gonoguana, finance minister, these things do have bread and butter, um, effects for ordinary South Africans and the daily lives, um, that we um, experience, because whether it's Mm. things like buying a milk or bread, those things will increase, we will see, Mm. like myself, I use public transport, when you use public transport, you will see that the prices for a bus ticket, a taxi ticket, Mm. this is getting to work, getting to school, Mm. these things will increase, and even, except for all of that, we might even see the possibility of our income tax increasing that's an even greater strain on the pockets of ordinary citizens. And I mean, things are currently tight uh, already in our South African economy. Like, you know, there isn't really much luxury because every cent, whether it's our savings or whatever the case may be, those things are under real pressure because um, many of the people at the top, like our finance ministers, are unwilling to make the proper yet difficult Decisions regarding our economy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I guess it comes back full circle back to ideology. Uh, you know, when you've yeah. got a government that sort of centres its its ideas around the idea of, of socialism, and I th- I th- in, before anyone accuses us of being heartless and not wanting people to receive a social grant because you know people don't deserve handouts or whatever, we we're not we're not espousing that at all. Because Becky, I mean, what yeah. we essentially promoting here is the ability for people to get ahead themselves to uplift themselves from whatever position. And you know, these kind of things have a, have a great effect on people's ability to do that. And the one thing I just wanted to pick your brain on, uh, Becky is, is the idea of inflation. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, Sholin spoken about how things get more expensive and, and everyone seems to be talking about inflation this year. Um, Mm -hmm. is that something that Gordon surely got to take into account? Um, and put some backstop measures in to try and take the pressure off, because I heard from a a friend who who used to work uh, in in the oil industry and he said that, you know, we could be looking at, you know, over 30 rand a litre for petrol at the end of the year.
1: Mm, mm, mm. That is unfortunate. Uh,
0: Yeah, in fact, on
1: that fuel uh, uh, point that you've raised there, I think if, if you look at the fuel price from December of 2021 compared to December, of 2022, there's been an increase of about 40% in the fuel price. So that's massively going to impact people that use public transportation as well as people that uh, go to work for example, that's a negative impact on them and has been one of the main drivers of uh, inflation in the country. Now is that something that Enoch is going to touch on? I do not particularly think so. These matters are usually touched on by the South African Reserve Bank. I do believe it is something that Enoch should definitely consider. And consider the consequences of inflation on in, on the average South African. Unfortunately, inflation tends to be a good thing for the government as it erodes their debt levels. But the person that usually pays for uh, inflation is the average South African by through the purchasing of bread, through the purchasing of groceries, and so forth. So it is definitely something that should need to be looked at because, like as you've mentioned, this has been a hot topic for over the past a few weeks and months and so forth, Uh, I think these matters will be tried to be addressed by the South African Reserve Bank through increasing interest rates which also unfortunately does uh, um, uh, uh, lead the budgets of some South Africans to be slightly squeezed that have taken on credit over the past year or two or that have uh, credit and so forth.
0: For sure. Um, Jens. I think that is just about all the time we have for today before we, we roll out with a, an explainer video, uh, which we haven't done in a while. But, Becky, before I let you go, where can people get a hold of you? I'm sure there's a lot of people who would love to see your work because you just ex- you explain yeah. these terms so simply. <laughs> uh, the best place for people
1: to reach out or to see my work is to simply visit the CRA website, CRA-SA, uh, uh, and then just go to my profile and you see my writings. I am not active on any social media accounts. Uh, even on Twitter, I just usually retweet. I, I don't find any use case for it nowadays. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, just um, yeah, just go to the CRA website, go to my profile, look at the CRA's uh, YouTube channel as well. I am also active there, for example. Uh, yeah, that is where you will find
0: me. Awesome. Yeah, and we will obviously include those in, in the descriptor below this video, but uh, yeah, Becky, thank you so much for your time. Uh, We look forward to seeing what your analysis brings for the budget speech. Uh, Next up, we have burning questions with Mbali and director of Fan Herman Pretorius. Uh, So we're going to roll out of here with an explainer video and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.
3: It's the economy, stupid. This was the winning phrase that resonated with voters and helped Bill Clinton win the 1992 US presidential election campaign. This phrase was crafted by Clinton's no nonsense strategist, James Carville. Carville understood that above all, people prized their quality of life, being able to live a comfortable life of their choosing, and that this was intricately connected to the economy. At its core, the economy is a system of transactions, people buying and selling things. The easier it is to buy and sell things, the healthier the economy and the better the quality of life. Carvel understood that if Clinton could convince voters that his economic policy would ensure a healthy economy and improve their quality of life, he would win the election. And he was right economic policy determines how easy or difficult it is for people to buy and sell things. But, like an ecosystem, the economy is complex. Just as it is neither practical nor sensible for even the smartest ecologists to try and manage weather and rainfall, or the habits of predators, migrating birds, and grazing herds, so it is neither practical nor sensible for politicians and bureaucrats to try to manage who buys and sells what, to whom, how, when, and where. But, just as ecologists can be effective in identifying problems and solutions in an ecosystem, so too can policy ensure the health of the economy. Economic policy determines how easy or difficult it is for you to afford to live a comfortable life of your choosing like it or not we are directly affected by economic policy you have the power and right to demand good economic policy and get others to do the same your freedom is worth fighting for join fan today to build a new tomorrow
4: Welcome to another episode of Hashtag Burning Questions. Um, Can you guys hear me? You guys hear me, hear you, hear me. (laughs) Guys, today I'm joined by Mr. HP, the director of FAN. I'm joined by Alex um, and I'm joined by Shola. Guys, welcome to Burning Questions.
5: Hello, fam. It's great to be here
4: cool so guys today on burning questions we're you know tackling a very interesting um personality we're going to be watching a a short clip of um julius malema and that's where our conversation is gonna be led from so yeah let me roll the clip and guys do take notes now because you're gonna have to note some of the parts in the video so that you you know there we go see people like alex
6: roots will not have that appreciation because the black people roots know the first black person he saw is a domestic worker in his house when he grew up the second black person he saw was a security guard at the gate when he got out the third black person he saw was a cashier at the shop owned by white people the fourth black person he saw was the cleaners where he went to school those are the blacks he has had an interaction with and he thinks of us like that because that is his exposure to black people and, 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 and therefore always characterizing us as non-thinkers, uh, as, as, <coughs> as, 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 as baboons, as people who can't think. And that's why if they hear a leader says kill the Boer, they can go into the house and take machete and go and kill people because these are non-thinkers. That's how they view us. That's how they characterize us. It's unfortunate that we find ourselves in a society where we coexist with such people who look at us and who think of us like that. We don't think like that about them. Our leaders never thought of like that about them. Despite the fact that they engaged in genocide of black people when they came here, despite conquering us in the wars of disposition, Despite killing kids in 1976 and in the eighties, we don't think of them like that. We never thought of them like that, but they think like that about us. That's very bad.
4: <laughs> I was saying in my muted state, that is very bad. This is, you know, that's uh, the end of Julius' statement. Guys, this is a very uh I'm going to say a tricky one, but um let's start with you HP. What are your thoughts on, on on this video?
5: Yeah, so um it it is a tough one. It really really is a tough one. And perhaps some context would be would be good to, you know, what's going on here. Uh so this is yes, Julius yes. Malema testifying in a court case um that was brought by um Afri Forum uh against him and the EFF regarding their singing of the song, uh, Kill the Boer. Um, And we all might remember, or some of us might remember that way back in 2010, uh, there was a very similar court case to this where uh, Julius Malema was still the president of the ANC Youth League and um, the Afri Forum took action to to have uh, Kill the Boer uh, declared hate speech um, and forbid Uh, people from singing it and then the the case was settled and the ANC undertook that it or its organizations won't sing Kill the Boy anymore. Uh, The problem is in the intervening 12 years uh, a few things have happened. Number one is Mr Malema left the EFF and thereby is no longer really a party to, um, to, to agreements between the ANC and Afri Forum uh, coming from that court settlement. So he, he isn't quite uh, um, as uh, accountable as, as the original case 12 years ago might have, might have held. Um, and secondly, of course, um, there were some changes in the law. Um, since 2010, uh, we got the Papuda. Um, act, which is the um, basically aimed at the the pro- uh, promotion of equality and prevention of unfair discrimination. Act. That's what the, the paputa stands for. So if I say paputa, I'm 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 not you know I'm not sneezing or something. It's the name of legislation. But um, it it changed the test for when something is hate spe- hate speech. And then recently, um, the constitutional court uh um and and some other courts uh looked at the hate speech re- uh, determinations in computer and found that these were actually unconstitutional uh so they were changed so this court case comes from the singing of kill the boer that afriforum feel uh meets the criteria of hate speech and this was mr malema testifying uh from the stand on uh you Know uh, uh, quite a few hours, but this clip very, very, very powerfully identified and definitely something to talk about.
4: Yeah, um, yeah, definitely, fam. Um, um, thank you so much for that. Um, the backstory. Um, maybe let's go to you, Sholin. Um, as you've yeah. heard the background of where this clip comes from, what are your thoughts on it? Um, what the whole spill that Malema has gotten into? Very, um, interesting man, very interesting <laughs> character.
2: Yeah. Um, as usual, you know, Malema is um, quite a controversial figure, as you said. And in the in this video specifically, I find it rather ironic that Malema of all people is the one criticizing someone for thinking that all black people are only lower class workers who are um, domestic workers or security guards, because the if, if are the ones, we think that the best way to actually represent all black people is by wearing red overalls. Mm-hmm. And we know that this is not the case. Because I mean that there are some brilliant um, b- um, black individuals who, you know, believe in ideas such as um, free markets um, and limited government who have been successful. Mm-hmm. And some of them are like Pumlani Majorsi, um Thomas yeah. Sowell, Big Daddy Liberty, Malachi Mbeki. Um, not all um black people can actually be represented by Malema as you would like us to believe. And I would also be very very I would be very skeptical if someone like Malema, you know, tries to paint um black people as victims just because of the colour of their skin. Um because, you know, um that's not usually the case, and that all not all black um people are actually working class Marxists as Malema yeah. would like us to be knew. Yeah,
4: definitely. Uh, Mr. Alex, your thoughts before I go into uh, something else?
0: Mm. Yeah, I think the, the idea of victimhood is a very good one that Shonen touches on. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, I mean, obviously one knows there's a sort certain stereotype that Malema is playing into here that, that mm-hmm. people are familiar with, right? And mm-hmm. I think he's very – what's quite scary about Malema is very convincing. You know, you could watch this and be like yeah. – yeah man. Bro. I need to go and was
4: like, wash yes, my car sir. with
0: my white tears. You know what i mean yeah. um but um, check your no, the,
2: privilege, Alex.
0: exactly exactly when I look actually when i drive after I've washed my car, I check in my mirror to see if i if I've still got my white privilege following me um but no i, I think it's I think it's a case of what I find <laughs> so interesting about um let is, is the playing up of victimhood in this okay. sort of nationalist rhetoric um in order to. Be divisive Um, there's yeah. nothing unifying yeah. about it. I don't think he intends to be unifying um, and I don't know how many people uh, watching it can get behind that sort of message um, obviously yeah. some people that may resonate with and and that's that's the danger is that um, you know when you when you it, when things aren't going well around you and you you're living in economic circumstances that are below the breadline you might see yeah. this and be like yeah down with white people whatever it is you know what I mean
4: yeah no definitely because I think I mentioned this off air I was like when I was watching some of those clips I was like yes preach black brother I definitely agree with you but I was like um no that's not how it's supposed to be and um I think with what um Sholin and Alex are both mentioning is that he's pushing this idea of black people should always be victims um I'm just gonna say listen Definitely, let's not let's not downplay um, apartheid. Let's not downplay what happened. Yeah. Let's not downplay um, obviously the trauma, which there still is some trauma, I think, with maybe the older generation. But I, mm. I'm gonna say, as a young black like, 22 year old, I don't really carry that trauma around with me. It's probably just adopted. I use it sometimes when I feel like it. Jokes, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But um, I think um, with the the content that those kind of things that Julius Malema is saying, especially for us, maybe young people, people who consume this kind of content, we now start building all these ideas, things that we don't even resonate with, and we start making it our own, which is very dangerous. And, And as Alex was saying, that someone might literally just watch this and say, yes, definitely, I agree with you um with white people, do you understand? Which is a very mm-hmm. dangerous thing in a democracy. Um, Mr. HP, do you have anything else to add? You're very you're very quiet there. I don't I don't yeah, like this like yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I think um you touched on something there, this 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 sort of appropriation of of suffering. Um it's mm-hmm. it's something actually quite complex because let's break down what, what Mr. Malema is actually saying there. He talks very definitely about they do this, this, and this, we, us. So there's this 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 grouping. Um then he goes on about they killed young black South Africans in nineteen seventy-six, um and in the nineteen eighties. The problem is I wasn't around in nineteen seventy-six or the nineteen eighties, and I, I not even the, the, the white person he's he's talking about, Adam Strutz, uh was uh so so there's this problem of creating these tribes not not actually treating people as individuals people who can think for themselves but actually saying that white people you collectively are responsible for white actions and black people you collectively no matter whether it's 50 years ago 150 years ago or today things done to black people were done to all black people and things done by white people were done by all white people and then he accuses mr roots of dehumanizing but
4: maybe Sam, quick one um i can hear myself by the way from your side let me just mute you a bit okay um Maybe a person might then come through to you and say, but from all those actions, from all those things that happened in apartheid, um, white privilege, you still have that white privilege. Black people, from everything that happened in apartheid, you still, you know, you still kind of discriminated against. We still see kind of these things. They might come to you and say, but this is South Africa. We see these things every day. What do you then say to that person?
5: Well, I think I would say to that person that I wouldn't repeat the policies that got us into this Situation In the first place, if you want to listen to someone who sounds like Julius Malema, go listen to Hendrik Verwoerd. There are some interviews with him on YouTube. The way he talks about them and us, very, very similar to Malema. So what Hendrik Verwoerd wanted to do was he wanted the state to control the economy to the advantage of his preferred race group. What do you think Julius Malema wants to do? He wants the state to control the economy to the advantage of his preferred race group. And of That's course we have to agree that you know uh, uh, black people were treated horribly by apartheid. I mean p- p- one of my notes here is is truth. One of the notes I made here was it's probably true as you know as a white South African I did grow up and the first black person I met was the domestic worker. But what okay. Mr Malema sort of misses is that we have to look at why there was economic exclusion in the first place and we can give two answers race-based policies and state control of people's economic decisions that's why these black people he mentions the security guards the cleaners the domestic workers that's why these people were kept and made poor in the first place and he wants that turbocharged as a policy. In his testimony, he made the absurd claim that he wants the state to take control of all land so that the people can have it. When last has the state taken something and then treated it as the property of the people? And perhaps the last thing I want to make clear about Mr. Malema is he is incredibly good at this sort of advocacy. Um, and the other day I, I actually was haunted by by my first memory um of of understanding the difference between black people and white people and how they are treated. I was I must have been about five or six. Okay. Um and I was at home and there was a guy painting our house, a black guy painting our house. Mm-hmm. Um and then he sort of caught my attention through the front door and he asked can he go to the bathroom and i was like five six years old i was like yes of course and he said yeah but can i show him where it is and i said to him okay come along and i invited him into our house and i was about to show him the bathroom that i use and he said yeah. no 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 the outside bathroom the uh-huh. dirty bathroom that yeah. haunts me that yeah. haunts me uh that and and, and I, I couldn't quite for many, many years, almost 25 years now, that memory mm. rested somewhere in the back of my mind. And I've never actually thought of it again since literally a week ago uh, mm. when it's been constantly in my mind to say that people were treated awfully. They were dehumanized. But why yeah. were they dehumanized? Because they were treated as a group. Black people equal dirty, equal deserving, dirty bathroom, outside bathroom. White people equal good. That idea of treating people as a group, rather than me treating you, Mbali, as you, Mbali, you, Sherlin, as you, Sherlin, you, Alex, as you, Alex, rather than me treating you guys as individuals, people I can love, I can annoy, I can hate, I can disagree with, I can agree with, I can fight with, I can love, rather than doing that... Mr. Malema puts his foot in exactly the same hole that got us into this in the first place. And that is the Fervurdian idea of going them and us and yeah. them and us. You don't solve the problems of the past by going back to the thinking that caused the problems in the first place.
4: Yeah, no, that is definitely true. That is definitely true. I don't know if you guys have anything to add before we close um, the show. I feel, you know, it's a bit saddish. You know, it's a bit sadish,
2: but, you know, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I must agree. Okay. <laughs> I must agree with what Arman says about the fact that Malema and the likes of Erwur, the likes of Hitler, they are um, two different sides of the exact same coin. Um, yep. Because yeah. the ones were just on the right and now Malema's on the left side of um the political spectrum, and yeah, that's exactly a dangerous territory of um actually repeating the mistakes that took place in the past um yeah. through the type of yeah. thinking that malema um, yeah promotes
5: sorry can i I, I, need can I, to, actually, I need to jump in quickly there and just make a point that fam, you're saying this is a very sad and downbeat episode. <laughs> yes but it doesn't have to be. because let's look at the facts let's look at the reality Hendrik okay. long gone long gone apartheid long gone oh. these things end these things come to an end when enough people say you know what This nonsense, I'm sorry, no, I'm not going to buy into this nonsense anymore. Two-thirds of white South Africans in 1992 in the referendum said, Mr. Verwoord, take your apartheid and druk it where the sun don't shine. And by Mm. that, I don't mean Scotland. But the point is, these things end. These things come to a close when enough people get involved and enough people go, this is rubbish, this is...
4: Definition.
5: So I just muted my mic strategically there. Um, And if we look at the data, South Africans are doing that, and they want to do that, and we can take it to our hearts and we can sleep easy at night that we are not a country of racists. We are not a country of verwurts and Mm malays. These people are out there, and they are weaponizing hurt, real hurt. They are weaponizing it just like... The apartheid government did, but we need to step up. We need to step up, and every time we hear this, go out and speak to someone from a different background than yours, and love them, and get to know them, and understand that you want good schools for your kids, they want good schools for their kids. You want a safe community, they want a safe community. If you haven't, if you don't know your neighbor, take the end of this podcast listen to it, that lack like of fan, you know, freedom is worth fighting for, put down the device you're busy with, and go Both. ring the bell of your neighbor and say, I never, I'm, I'm a fellow South African, this might be weird, but I don't think I know you well enough. And if that person is someone you know, or someone who shares your background, culturally, linguistically, okay. then go to the next house, and the next house, and the next house, until you find the South African who's so different from you, that okay. someone like Maleno, or someone like Fervurt, would want to put you in a fight against each other, speak to that person, get to know them, ask them where their kids go to school, do the basic human thing of treating someone else as a human being. And you will see that Mr. Malema and Mr. Firvurt can only get power when we don't know each other and we don't love each other and we don't talk to each other as individuals who share the same color blood
4: definitely um yeah i think to end the show it's just safe to say guys um don't be fooled by Malema's great wording like i'll (laughs) give that to him he's great at speaking but you know what don't be fooled and as hp had said has said go out learn who your neighbor is go meet new people uh, people that you relate with and do remember your freedom is definitely worth fighting for